Good evening. Please turn your Bibles to James chapter 2, and we're going to take our study from verses 14 through 26 tonight. James chapter 2 and verses 14 through 26. I want to start out with a question. What would you say about a person who claimed to have faith, but did not have any works to back up that faith? Do they have saving faith? This is a question that James asks in chapter 2 and verse 14 of James. And he spends the rest of chapter 2 answering this question. And it's not a question that you and I are probably unfamiliar with. It's a question that you and I may have asked at many times, even in our minds about other people or directly to other people. Uh, when we see someone who we think is just a nominal Christian, we might ask them or just ask in our minds, uh, is that saving faith? Faith without works, is that saving faith? But I don't want for you and I to focus on other people tonight. I want for us to focus on you and me. Because that's who James is focusing on here in this text in James chapter 14 verses 14 through 20, uh, chapter 2 verses 14 through 26. He's focusing on you and me and asking if we have saving faith. It is a vitally important question. Because you and I have declared our faith many times, most likely, haven't we? Uh, we've declared our faith in personal conversations, maybe in comments in Bible class, maybe in prayers before the congregation, and many other ways. But the question James is asking you and I is, though we've declared our faith, do we have saving faith? What does saving faith look like? What does it not look like? These are the questions that James spends the rest of chapter 2 answering. And he answers it through four different illustrations. The first two illustrations are negative, which show, shows us what saving faith does not look like. And the final two illustrations show us what saving faith does look like. And so I want you to consider in your own life, as each of us consider in our own lives, asking ourselves the question, do we have saving faith? And ask that question in light of the answers that James gives in verses 14 through 26 of chapter 2 here. And the first illustration is found here in verses 14 through 17. This first of two negative illustrations. So notice with me verses 14 through 17. Uh, James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James initially answers this question with the first illustration and essentially asks us to consider for a moment uh, what it would be like if we had a brother or sister around us that had some needs. Uh, They're hungry. They need clothes. They need daily food. Maybe they need a place to stay. James asks the question, what good is it to simply notice their situation and have good hopes for their situation and wish, wish them well? Well, I, I hope you find some warmth. I, I hope you find some food. What good is that? James asks. Well, of course, our words accomplish nothing. Our good meaning and our good intentions, our good words and hopes for that person mean absolutely nothing. They're still cold. They're still hungry. 
And so James concludes in verse 17 that this type of faith, that faith by itself without works is dead. Dead. This is a significant and very powerful statement. It's the first thing that we learn about this type of faith. It's the first thing we learn about saving faith. Saving faith does not avoid service towards others. Dead faith avoids service towards others. And in a world that simply emphasizes our need to simply ask Jesus into our hearts for salvation, I believe this is a pretty significant idea. One's belief is dead without any works to back it up. But so many times when I've studied this passage, as I said from the beginning, I've only focused on doctrine. I've only focused on what others teach about the matter and what I teach about the matter and how I have a great, uh, a much better teaching than others have on the matter, than people in the world have on the matter. But does it do any good for us to simply have the right teaching on the matter? Does it do any good for us to stand uh, up and say, well, faith without works is dead. You have to have works to have saving faith. Saving faith has actual works and service behind it. Does it do any good to stand up and declare that without any actions behind it? Actually, without action... Our doctrine in the matter does not matter at all. Without action, our teaching is meaningless. It's our faith is dead. And so for what I want us to consider in this first point is how can we have dead faith that avoids service? How could that happen in our lives? How could it happen in our congregations here? And so picture that for a moment, what it would be like for us to have a brother or sister here who has needs. We can apply this physically and spiritually. Uh, it might be that we notice that a brother or sister or a family has physical needs. They might need some food. They can't cook very often or they just have other needs that we could meet. Or maybe there's a spiritual need. Maybe we notice that someone is unconnected, uh, disconnected from the congregation. Maybe we notice that someone's struggling spiritually, that they have a lack of understanding, or that we see visitors that need to be taught. There's a great spiritual need there or a physical need. How does one with dead faith that avoids service react? Well, dead faith may notice all of these situations, right? Dead faith might notice all these situations, might even have good feelings and wishes about these situations and and have compassion for their situation and feel like, man, I really hope that something works out for them. Could it not? We might even wish them hope. Well, I hope you figure that situation out. Or we might even pray about it. We might even, I've caught myself at many times praying this prayer. Well, Lord, I hope that you will send someone in some place to do something about their situation. Well, does that do any good if we don't do anything about it? Now, certainly there's going to be situations where we can't do something about someone's situation simply because of distance or lack of ability. But most of the time when we see a situation in an unmet need and are praying about it, we're the ones who are called to meet that need. And so in these first two ways that we might 
we might avoid service, we could very well notice someone's situation and pray about their situation, but not do anything about it. But the third way that we avoid service is just if we don't even notice these situations at all. Hear me on this. If we don't, if we look at our congregation and we don't see the great spiritual and physical needs that there are here, then our faith is dead. We are missing it. Our faith is so cold and so dead that we don't even notice what's going on in other people's lives around us. We have a dead faith that avoids service. This should frighten us as James concludes that dead faith avoids service. Now, James goes on to bring out a second aspect or a second illustration that is also negative that shows us uh, what saving faith does not look like again. And he creates he does this by creating a hypothetical situation that separates faith from obedience to God. And so his focus now is not just on service to other people, but on obedience to God. And what he does is he separates them in a situation and says, what if someone, what if you were given the charge to show your faith without works? Notice what he says here in verses 18 through 20. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So now James describes useless faith by saying, imagine what it would be like for just a moment if you were given the task to show your faith to a room full of people that did not know you apart from your actions completely. How would that work out for you? Well, I think we can all recognize that that's a pretty vain pursuit, isn't it? It's There would be a lot of empty words that would be going on in a situation like that where we're trying to prove our faith without actions. Oh, I love God a lot. I've got a lot of faith in God. I don't care what happens. I trust Him. I have faith. I have lots of it too. You just don't know how much faith I have. You just don't know. Oh, There's nothing to back it up, is there? I love how James goes on to continue there in verses 19 through 20 and says, you know, that's great. That's great that you've got that faith. That's great you've got that belief. Kind of like a bravo. But Christians, even demons have that same belief. Even demons say they have belief. Even demons believe in God. We are no different without obedience to God by simply claiming that we have belief. And in James, in verse 20, James moves to call this faith not just dead, but absolutely useless. We might have a faith or believe we have a faith in our hearts, but it has no use whatsoever. But notice the second option that James gives in verse 18. He says, I will show you my faith by my works. This is much more uh, easier. This is a much easier task. Imagine if you were presented to a group of people and you were given the task of showing your faith to people, not by your words, 
but by your actions, but by your obedience to God. And this works because there is actual fruit. There is actual evidence of faith. And this shows us that you cannot separate faith and obedience to God. Faith without works is useless because our works expose the quality of our faith. Works, service and obedience are the evidence and outpouring of faith of the faith in our hearts. And so after these two negative illustrations in which James exposes what dead and useless faith look like, dead faith does not serve, useless faith does not obey God like the demons do not obey God, James goes on to give two positive illustrations to show us what saving faith does look like. And his first illustration is seen there in verses 21 through 24 when he talks about Abraham and gives Abraham as an example. So notice verses 21 through 24 with me. Uh, James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says... Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So the situation with Abraham is he was 75 years old, and God came to his, into his life and promised him that he would have become a great nation. That he would become a great nation with so many descendants that they would be as numerous as the stars. Yet Abraham had no child. He and his wife were barren. But then 25 years later, after God made that promise, he finally had a child. When he was 100 years old, when his body was essentially dead, God brought it back to life. And he had the child of promise, Isaac. But then just a few years later, God told Abraham to offer up his child, offer up this child of promise, Isaac, on an altar. Just years later, he told him to do that. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 19 tells us that Abraham in this situation believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead. He believed Isaac could raise him from the dead. Why can Hebrews 11:19 make that statement? Why can they make that state? Why can he make this statement about Abraham's faith? Well, he can make that statement. We know that Abraham really believed that Isaac could be raised from the dead by God's power because Abraham actually obeyed God in that situation. Because he actually brought down the knife. He was about to kill his son. He was seconds away from killing his son before the angel stopped him and said, No, now I know that you have faith in the Lord. That's how we know that Abraham had faith. Imagine for a second if Abraham did not do that. If Abraham did not bring down the knife. If Abraham did not take his child, Isaac, to Mount Moriah, what would his declaration of faith back in Genesis chapter 15, where he said, I trust you, God, what would that mean? It wouldn't mean anything at all, would it? 
It would be a faith just like the demons. It would say, oh, I believe in you, God. I trust in you, God. But there would be no actions to back it up. But Abraham's obedience in this situation displays to us and to all history. Abraham's example is used many times to show us what true saving faith looks like. And James makes an important conclusion about that in verse 22. Notice he says, you see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. Works and faith worked together and joined together. Faith was completely empty and useless without his works, without his obedience. And this teaches us then that faith is not simply a quality. We, we often talk about faith as if it's just a quality that we possess in our hearts. So you, you don't know, I, I've got faith in this situation. <clears throat> But faith is not a quality that someone possesses in their hearts, is it? Abraham shows us that here. Faith is an action. Faith is defined by its actions, by its works. It's like when we say love is a verb. Faith is a verb. Faith is only seen in actions, not a quality simply in someone's heart. And then James goes on to make the most important declaration about this in verse 24. He says, in verses 23 and 24, he says, The scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So James makes kind of a funny statement here. And this has always puzzled me until I thought about it for a while. The statement is made in Genesis chapter 15 that Abraham was justified by his faith in this situation. He was justified by his faith. But that scripture that said that Abraham was justified by his faith was not fulfilled or made real until Genesis 22 when Abraham actually displayed that faith. And in that situation, that is when he showed that his faith and his declaration back in Genesis chapter 15 meant something. And because of that, James says here, Abraham was made righteous because of his faith. He was declared righteous because of his faith. He was saved because of his actions that made his faith Valid in this situation. Abraham's obedience to God showed that he had saving faith. Saving faith obeys God. And so let's ask ourselves for a moment do we have saving faith? So put yourself in Abraham's shoes. God tells you to kill your son. What if he told you to do that? Do you believe that God could raise your child from the dead? Do you believe that? Don't answer too quickly. Because James says, if we don't take the knife to our child, like in Abraham's situation, if we weren't to do that, then that means we do not believe that God can raise the dead. Abraham can say... All he wants, he can bend over backwards and say, I believe God can raise the dead. But unless he took the knife to his child, 
then it meant absolutely nothing. We can say that we have faith in God, but unless we follow Him, and no matter no matter what He calls us to, and obey Him, and no matter what He calls us to, we don't really believe in God. We don't really, really have faith in God. We don't have saving faith. And so, do you have faith? Do you have saving faith that trusts God and follows God anywhere? James goes on to describe a second aspect of saving faith really briefly in verse 25. He says, In the same way Rahab the prostitute was justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So Rahab was saved in the same way. She was saved by this active faith that serves, that serves other people. She risked her life for the Israelite spies in Jericho by sending them another way, by hiding them. This service towards the spies showed her faith in God. It showed an internal thing in her heart that was going on. It showed her love. It showed her faith. And so saving faith does not just obey God in difficult situations, but it also serves others. It also recognizes what other people need and meets that need. And so then this brings us full circle around. James has asked the question from the very beginning. Can we have faith but not works and that faith save us? Is that saving faith? Clearly, no. That is not saving faith. Faith without works is dead and useless. Faith that does not serve, faith that does not obey is dead and useless. But faith that obeys God and trusts God in difficult situations and serves others, not just sees needs, but serves others, that is saving faith. That saves us. But let's make sure we don't misunderstand this for a moment. If we believe for one moment, just the blunt statement, my own actions and my own righteousness save me, then we're missing this. Then we're missing the the carefulness in how James is saying this and how we ought to talk about this. We will fail if we simply say that my righteousness and my actions save me. And we'll get ourselves in big time trouble if we go out into the world and try to proclaim to other people that, uh, well, I'm saved by my works and you can be saved by your works as well. That would fail. And it can, we can see how that could fail if we just take Rahab as an example. Rahab was a prostitute. Does her righteousness save her? No. Her actions alone did not save her. This is not James' point. James' point is not that our own righteousness can earn or deserve our salvation. We do not save ourselves, and that's not what James is teaching. We're in the same situation as Rahab. We have had dead souls. We have had dead hearts. And we cannot earn our salvation. We cannot be saved apart from God's grace and mercy. We are only forgiven because of active faith. And so that's really what James is talking about here. James, when James says that active and working faith saves, he is not denying salvation by faith. Romans 5, 1 clearly and plainly says that we are justified by faith. 
And so James is not denying that we are saved by faith. Rather, James is doing what we have seen so often in the Gospel of John, as Brent has been declaring that to us in the Gospel of John. He is declaring to us what true saving faith looks like. He is distinguishing between faith that is dead and useless and faith that is saving, faith that is alive. Real, true, saving faith serves others and obeys God. But there is so often a fake faith, isn't there, that just academically acknowledges that God exists, academically acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that is just simply focused on academic knowledge or focused on just having doctrinal correctness. Belief does not save, just like belief for the demons does not save. There's a difference between belief and saving faith. That's what James is teaching us. And so we are saved by faith, but not just simply an academic belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but a faith that is living and active, a faith that works. James is teaching us that God saves the one who has faith that produces real activity. And so as we understand these things now, let's put this into practice. Let's consider how we can put this into practice. How can we move towards saving faith? The first thing we've learned, as we've said many times, faith, we must have faith that serves others. But since if we look at our lives and we see that we are not actively serving others, we need to recognize that this is a faith problem, not simply an action problem. Uh, It doesn't do any good for us to recognize then that if I'm not actively serving others in my life, then what I need to do is I need to just start thinking really hard and trying to work really hard with my own strength and make as many New Year's resolutions as I can so that I can so that I can start doing more to serve other people. You You know, the problem It might be good to make these resolutions and make goals like that. But we've got to understand the problem is our faith. The problem is internal. It's in our hearts. Because if we truly loved other people, if we truly had faith, then we would overcome any obstacle to serve other people around us to meet their needs. And so if we don't see action in our life, then the problem is internal. We've got a faith problem and we can solve this faith problem, not by simply trying to add good works to our life, but by doing what we always ought to do when we're seeking to better our, when we're seeking to improve in our Christian walk. Look at Christ. Look at what Christ has done for you. And this will improve your faith. This will improve your faith to one, a faith that serves because Christ has served us. Christ overcame every single obstacle to serve us and to save us. Imagine what it would be like for Christ to simply see us in our situation and acknowledge our situation and send down a letter that says, I hope you guys can figure out your sin. I hope you guys can figure out this situation. Imagine what it would be like for him to simply have good feelings about us or just hope that we were able to get out of our sins. We'd be dead. We'd be alone. We would have no one to save us. In the same way, other people need our service too. They need our faith to produce real action in our life. They need people to serve them. They need people to do things for them. 
Dwelling on what Christ has done for us will produce a real faith that, and a real love that really acts in other people's life and really does something about what other people need. And so we need to develop a faith that serves others by looking at Christ. And second, we need to develop a faith that obeys God. If we see in our lives that there's been difficult commands and we have been breaking those commands, then the answer is then, again, not to just strengthen our resolve to obey those commands. Because, again, we've got a faith problem. And if we're looking at our lives and evaluating right now, do I have a faith that obeys God? We ought not just look at at very outward things and just say, well, uh, am I meeting the New Testament example of coming together on the first day of the week and taking the Lord's Supper? Am I doing that? That's a very small thing to think about. Don't think about whether or not you say you have faith. What do your actions say? Is there active service towards the Lord? What, what are your works outside of this building? What does your life look like outside of this building? Are we making sacrifices for the spread of the gospel? Are we making sacrifices to obey the Lord and eradicate sin from our lives? Do we have an active faith that fights for a tumultuous marriage in the face of great difficulty? Do we have an active faith that trusts the Lord in the midst of economic struggles and actively puts our hope in the treasures above, not in the treasures of this earth? If we do not, then we must recognize that our problem is internal. And we can only solve this faith problem by drawing near to the Lord. By first drawing near to the Lord, not trying to just simply add obedience to our life. Because if we really had faith, if we really knew the Lord really, then we would have faith. And so the problem is that we just don't know the Lord. And so we need to come to know the Lord through his word. And we need to come to experience the Lord and experience his provision by praying to the Lord, by entrusting difficult situations to him. That is how we can overcome faith that does not actively obey God. We can overcome faith that does not obey God by drawing near to the Lord and his word and experiencing him and his salvation in prayer. Solve your lack of faith by entrusting him with your darkest, with your deepest, with your most difficult struggles in life. Do you have saving faith? James concludes in verse 26 that if we do not have saving faith, for as a part, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Are we just like a spiritless body? Do we have saving faith? If not, pursue saving faith by pursuing Jesus Christ and his love in other people's lives by pursuing the Lord and coming to know him. If there's any way that we can help you in your life and in your walk with God, in your walk with Christ, to develop a true saving faith, then let us know. Let us know how we can help you, help you develop a faith that serves other people, help you develop a faith that entrusts God with the most difficult of situations in your life. If there's any way we can help you, let us know. Come forward to the front while we stand and while we